Amen. Thank you, Daniel. Good morning, Christ Central Church. Thank you. Good morning, JR. As Daniel said, my name is Timothy. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. And this morning we come to the third of our fourth of our four Advent songs. Next week we will finish out our series and conclude our Advent preparation with the song of Simeon. And I don't know about you, but for me, this sermon series has got me thinking a lot about what it means to prepare for Christmas. Uh, this past week I came across an article entitled, Lead Your Home into Advent. And in reading, I was reminding that in order to lead someone, you have to first have an idea of where you are going. And therefore, in order to lead my home into Advent, I have to have a pretty good idea of what an Advent-ready home looks like. And the main point of the article was that there is, in fact, an appropriate response to the Christmas story. That the story of the incarnation of God coming down to earth ought to cultivate a spe specific reaction in our hearts. Much in the same way that death produces sadness, a robbery produces fear, failure produces shame. The Christmas story should produce in us a certain response. Which then caused me to ask the question... Do I even know what the appropriate response to the Christmas story is? Do you even know what the appropriate response to the Christmas story is? The culture around us, the world around us says the appropriate response is to cover your house in tiny lights and spend lots of money on stuff you don't need. But that can't possibly be the appropriate response to God coming down to earth. Thankfully, the scriptures give us a historical account of a perfect response to the Christmas story. I'm going to ask if you're able, if you would stand as we read now the shepherd's response to the Christmas story. This is Luke chapter 2. I'm going to be reading verses 8 through 20. Verse 8 says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them 
concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The prophet Isaiah says, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would speak to us this morning and that we would listen and hear your voice. I pray that you would remove any distraction that might be in the way and that we would encounter you, the living God, and that we would be transformed. God, give us eyes to see, ears that can hear, and hearts that understand. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. My hope and prayer this morning is that through hearing this story, maybe for the hundredth time or the one thousandth time, I don't know how many times you've heard it, but that this morning we would understand more deeply the response of the shepherds and that as a result we might know what it looks like to mimic their response in our own lives. I have just two points this morning. First, divine syncopation. And second, a standing ovation. Divine syncopation and a standing ovation. Ovation. Let's begin. First, divine syncopation. I don't claim to be musical by any stretch of the word, but I was once in a choir. A choir that you had to audition for, believe it or not. I think they let me in because I was a little late in hitting puberty, and a tenor is a hard thing to find in a high school choir. That's a different story. We'll save that for another day. But I was in this choir, and I learned about syncopation. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the term, syncopation syncopation is best defined as a disturbance or interruption in the regular flow of rhythm, or in layman's terms, notes that are in all the wrong places. And as a result of syncopation, what syncopation produces is an unexpectedness to the music, a mystery, if you will. That which you would assume would come next never does. And yet when it's done well, like in jazz, the result is delightfully unexpected. The Advent story is chock full of divine syncopation. There's almost nothing about this story that does not upset our expectations. And yet, although not what we would expect, when we listen closely, like in jazz, it turns out to be delightfully unexpected. Before we look at what our response to the song should be, I first want you to look with me at the unexpected notes in our Advent song, starting in verse 8. Verse 8 begins by introducing the few select ticket holders to this sold-out show. And it turns out that the only people who were able to get tickets to this show were the shepherds. 
Now, at first glance, we might not recognize how misplaced this note truly is because we're so far removed from the context and we have a tendency to romanticize these farmhands as noble participants in the Christmas story. But the truth is that shepherds in first century Israel were not thought very highly of at all. In fact, one historian points out that with the exception of lepers, shepherds were the lowest class of men in Israel. This was because they lived out in the fields and they could not keep the Jewish ceremonial laws, so they were viewed as unclean. Not only that, but they were commonly viewed as liars and thieves by society, and therefore their testimony was inadmissible in court. I think it's, it's, it's hard to make a direct parallel to present-day society, but I don't think it's a stretch to say that these men held similar status to those who are presently on the sex offender registry. These were outcasts, despicable people, according to society. So now you can begin to see why these, uh, this note is so bizarre. You can begin to hear the syncopation. The angels appeared to who? To the shepherds? Ah, there must be some mistake. They would never have appeared to despicable people like this. But it doesn't stop there. The second note is just as jarring. Verse 9 says, And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And again, unless we know our Old Testament pretty well, we might miss the absurdity of what's being said here. Because it was one thing for the angels to visit the shepherds, but far more absurd for the glory of the Lord to show up on a farm. And I love that we've been studying Exodus this fall because it's in Exodus that we see the significance of the glory of the Lord. If you remember in Exodus chapter 20, Moses went up on the mountain to meet with the Lord. But the question is, what, are, what were they meeting about? If you remember from the story, Moses and God are talking about this thing called the tabernacle. They're going to build this tent, this meeting place, and it's there that God's, God's glory is going to dwell. And so if you remember in chapter 40, when God's people finally complete this tabernacle, and they do it just the way God says, verse 34 says that the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. See, now God's glory has a place to live. We learn later in Leviticus even more of the sacredness of this place that his glory actually resided in the innermost room of the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies. And it was but once a year that one man, the high priest, would enter into the Holy of Holies and he alone would behold the glory of the Lord. And so now look again at Luke 2 and imagine how jarring this second note would have been to the Jewish audience. You mean to say that all of a sudden God's glory left the temple and shows up not to a group of priests, but to a bunch of dirty shepherds out in the field. That was unheard of, unthinkable. And lastly, and probably the loudest of the off-placed notes, is, that, is the details of the sign given to the shepherds. Verse 12 says, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. For the Jews, this probably would have been the straw that broke the camel's back. 
You see, all the prophecies that the Jewish people were clinging to, that they had heard time and time again, was that there's a mighty king who is coming to rule and reign in power and dominion, and yet this is not a royal birth. No, this is not royalty at all. This is the worst kind of birth imaginable. I've had the privilege to witness four births now, and I can speak from experience that it would not have been a good idea to introduce any livestock into the delivery room. My wife would not have approved of that. You don't get born in a barn. You don't have a baby in a barn unless you have no other choice. How could God's son be born to such insignificant, unsuccessful, worthless people? This note is certainly the most alarming of all. But why? We've, we've now noted that these notes are out of place, but why place them in the song? Remember what syncopation is and what it's for. The purpose of syncopation is to jar you. It's meant to be disruptive in a good way. So let's look again at this strange tune to see what kind of disruption God is getting at. If we look closely, we find a clue tucked away in the angel's words. Verse 10 says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For all the people. You see, Jesus is entering in at a time where the dichotomy had almost reached a boiling point. Judaism had become all about insiders and outsiders. The Jews were in, the Gentiles were out. And then even within the family, those who kept the ceremonial law, the clean ones, they were in. But those who didn't or couldn't, like the shepherds, they were out. Even gotten political at this time, the religious leaders, the priests who apparently obeyed the law perfectly, they were the real insiders, and everyone else was simply on the outside looking in. And then Luke 2 happens. Really the first time that Jesus flips the tables in the temple. And each one of these jarring notes declares, no more. No more. No more will there be insiders and outsiders echoing the words from Mary's song. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. This faith is for all the people. All the people. Hence the shepherds are the first to know. Hence God's glory leaving its home in the temple and God's, showing, God's son showing up wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Only if God humbled himself this much would he be approachable for all the people. And just like the shepherds couldn't believe that they were invited to witness this royal birth, you also should be amazed because you're invited to. Not because you're good enough, not because you come from the right family or you've been successful enough or you have enough money or because you're involved in your church or you read your Bible every day or you haven't done anything terrible yet. No, you're invited because this birth is for all the people. And yet some of you, some of us, 
have become convinced that we're not invited. That because we've messed up too much or haven't performed well enough or don't have our life together enough, that we're not welcome at the manger. That this birth is not for me. And I hope and pray that as we listen to this strange song, that it serves to convince you otherwise. That this good news is great joy for you too. So now we've got this funky beat that's catchy as all get out. We can't get it out of our heads. and It's not what we were planning to hear, but quite possibly the best thing we've ever heard. And since we now know the tune, we can now return to our original question. How are we to respond to this out-of-this-world song? Let's look first at the angel's response and then to that of the shepherds. I had the privilege uh, to go with my wife to New York a few weeks ago, and whenever I get to go to New York, I try to go see a show. And while I was there at the show, I was reminded of why I love the theater so much. I love the theater because my grandfather loved the theater. And I have a vivid memory, many vivid memories, of my grandfather marching around the house when I was a kid and singing his favorite Broadway show tunes from Les Mis, from Fan of the Opera, Hello, Dolly. There are a few things that my grandfather loved more than a good show, and he made it his goal for all of us to love the theater too. And I'll never forget this story that my grandmother used to tell about their most memorable theater experience. It happened in the West End in 1979. Carol Channing was coming to London to perform Hello, Dolly. And by some stroke of luck, my my grandparents were able to get tickets. And so they get these priceless tickets and they found themselves packed in this tiny old London theater for a night they'd never forget. And even when the first song started playing, there was this energy and excitement. Everybody knew something amazing was going to happen. And then if you've seen the show, they get to the famous scene at Harmonia Gardens uh, when Dolly is coming back after all those years. And this particular moment turns out to be too much for my grandfather. He just can't contain himself. And as soon as the last note is played, he jumps out of his seat and he begins to go berserk. And he's hollering and he's screaming, Bravo! Bravo! And he's so moved that he feels compelled to demand of the performers. And he begins to cry out, Encore! 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 And this rowdy London crowd joins in with him and everyone's saying, Encore! Encore! The crazy thing is that the show was not over. There was about 45 minutes left. This is not the time to call for an encore. And yet the audience and my grandfather, they were so moved, they couldn't help themselves. And according to my grandmother, the the performers actually acquiesced. They stopped the show. They reset the whole scene, and they did it all over again. And my grandfather talks about this day. He said it was theatrical perfection. It was the most beautiful thing he'd ever seen. There's a part of me that thinks that what happened in that field while the shepherds were watching their flocks was quite similar to what happened in that old West End theater. Now, I'm reading into the text a little bit here. I understand that, but I wonder if God, in fact, just sent one angel to be the messenger to the shepherds. And maybe, just maybe, the other angels just overheard what was going on. 
And maybe they just couldn't help themselves because they knew this birth was the most important event in the history of the universe. And they refused for it not to be celebrated. And so the angel goes to get the news, and as he delivers the news, the other angels just bust into the scene, and they stand up and they're going, bravo, encore, glory to God in the highest. And if there's one thing that we learn from the angels, it's that our response must be big, because this event is huge. If anyone knew how big it was, it was the angels, and they could not control themselves. They were so excited. What about the shepherds? What is their response to the news that they've just been told? Because I think it's, it's the shepherds that we're to emulate. There are three things that the shepherds did in response to the news that I want to show you as we wrap this up. First, they investigated. Second, they witnessed. And lastly, they worshipped. It's interesting to note that the shepherds didn't just blindly accept that, had been, that which had been spoken to them. Even in spite of the fact that the news had come from a heavenly chorus, they still felt compelled to go and investigate whether or not the claims were true. So verse 15, after the angels left, the shepherds left their livelihood, they left their sheep, and they went into Bethlehem to see for themselves. Church, Christmas at its heart is a declaration of the gospel of the good news of a Savior come to our rescue. And so when we hear this gospel song sung, we, like the shepherds, we must first investigate whether or not it's true, whether the news is really good news. We must, like the shepherds, heed the angel's advice and go and see this thing that has happened. We have to go there and see, is there really a babe in the manger, and is that babe, in fact, Christ the Lord? I realize that there are some of you who are here this morning and quite possibly you struggle to believe that this song is true. It just seems too far-fetched to believe that a little baby born into poverty, born out of wedlock, could change the world. And yet the good news for you is that God promises if we seek after Him, we will find Him. If that's where you're at, I'm so glad you're here, and I would encourage you to keep looking. To follow the doubting shepherds over to Bethlehem, to peek inside the manger, and see if there isn't inside the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I think you might be surprised at what you find. For those of you who do believe, we need to look again. Because if we don't look, if we stay in the fields with the sheep because we've heard this song before, our hearts will grow cold. And this song will begin to lose its luster. And before we'll know it, we'll stop singing. So first, the shepherds, they investigate. And then after they discover that the babe is here and that he is Christ the Lord, the next thing they do is they witness. What the text reveals is that without being told, the shepherds were compelled to share the good news with anyone and everyone who would listen. It just spilled out of them. They had to share this good news. Brothers and sisters, if the birth of Jesus really is good news, 
the greatest news that we've ever heard, then how can we not share it? I've been sharing this EP from our worship team like crazy because it's so good. But no offense to saints of sparrows, but the song of Christ's birth, this song that the angels are singing, it's far better than anything the saints of sparrows will ever produce. It's the best song that's ever been written, and we need to share it. We have to share it. So they investigate to see if it's true, and then they witness. They share this truth that they've discovered. And lastly, the text says, verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. And it's here that the response of the shepherds really begins to mirror that of the angels. You see, once they fully comprehend what is happening, they can't help but give glory to God. Because at the end of the day, what this song must produce in us, what it inevitably produces in us, is spontaneous, uncontrollable, boisterous worship. Because it's that good. In April of 1961, Yuri Gagarin became the first human being to journey into outer space, or so the Soviets tell us. And it is reported that when he came back to Earth, he declared that on his journey into outer space, he had discovered that there was no God there. He didn't find him. And British scholar C.S. Lewis said this in response to these comments. He said, If there is a God who created us, we would not discover him by going up into the air. God would not relate to human beings the way a man on the second floor relates to a man on the first floor. He would relate to us the way Shakespeare relates to Hamlet. Shakespeare is the creator of Hamlet's world and of Hamlet himself. Hamlet can know about Shakespeare only if Shakespeare reveals information about himself to Hamlet in the play. I love that. Shakespeare, Hamlet can only know about Shakespeare only if Shakespeare reveals information about himself to Hamlet in the play. You know what's amazing? God did not merely write us information about himself. He wrote himself into the drama of history when the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's a pretty radical tune, isn't it? And the question for all of us this Advent season is how will you respond? How will you respond? Will you change the station? Will you listen to something else? Or will you listen to the song of the angels? The song of the one who was born in a manger to become a man who died on a cross to pay for our sins and who was raised from the dead to give us eternal life. Will you listen to that song? And will you respond? Will you respond with witness and with worship? Let's pray. Father God, I pray that we would hear it this year. The gospel song is being sung all around us. Your creation cries out and declares your glory. But would we hear it? 
Would we listen? And would it grip our hearts because it's the greatest song that's ever been sung? The greatest story ever written. God, I pray for myself and for each person here that that you would grab a hold of our hearts this Advent season and we would respond by sharing this good news and by worshiping you, the one true God. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.